Welcome back to Winning at Work. It's season three, the podcast for the food and beverage and CPG world. I'm Jennifer Lee, Tony's new marketing sidekick and creative guru. I'll attempt to keep him on track as we discover the ideas and strategies behind all these different, better, and special brands. Oh, good luck keeping me on track, but I am really stoked to have you on the team, Jennifer. Your background in marketing and SEO and socials, we are going to have so much fun this year. We're going to be discovering the new brands here in 2023. It's all about functional, good for you, lifestyle brands. Those are trending. Those are the products that are gaining market share and really pulling away from those old legacy brands. We're going to have each and every one of those brands down on the podcast to talk to us, to share their ideas, their inspiration. So you, the entrepreneur, so you, the food and beverage and CPG professional can take these new ideas in and incorporate them into your business and into your life. Oh my gosh, Tony, I'm seriously so excited. I feel like I learn so much just from listening to older episodes Well, that's why we're here. And if this is your first time here, I would recommend, look, go back, take the five episode challenge, pick a brand, pick a CEO, an entrepreneur, dive in, listen to what it is that they're teaching us. If you love the content, subscribe. We hope you're along with us for the journey each and every week. By the way, do you have a favorite brand in your market you would love for us to amplify on this national platform? Reach out to us on LinkedIn and stay tuned for this week's episode. Hey, it's Jennifer. We get it. Everyone hates hiring. Inspired by his guests, Tony created a novel talent acquisition program that attracts the hidden candidate market, the 70% of people that are not actively applying to jobs. Click on the attract link in the show notes to watch a demo. Welcome to Winning at Work, everybody. Hope your 2023 is off to a rocking start. I know restaurants are definitely rocking, and I had the pleasure of talking to uh, Alan Moy. He's the owner of Vietnam Nam, and he really struck me as an individual, as a restaurateur who encompasses a lot of the, the challenges and the traits that the modern entrepreneur has in food. Just he's got a fascinating background. I really can't wait to really introduce him to you, to everybody here at Winning at Work. He has got a, it's an unusual background in the sense that he came out of business. So he had seven years in the corporate world and finally was able to break away and pursue his lifelong dream of opening a restaurant. He is a a third generation restaurateur and I just love the name Vietnam Nam. It just is so clever, so catchy. And, you know, he's got a what I would say a very big vision for an expansive enterprise for the business. And that's really why I want him here to talk to us because it's not just food, it's people, it's business, it's strategy. He really incorporates all of this into his uh, delicious brand. So uh, Alan, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day to come down and talk to us all. Well, how's it going, Tony? Thank you for having me, first and foremost. Um, I'm excited to be here. Yeah, it's great. And there's, um, as I said, kind of at the top, I to me, you do kind of fit that mold of the entrepreneur who's into food, but is also very connected with, I want to grow. 
you know, and there's so many different components to running a restaurant, running the operations, dealing with people and understanding, okay, where are my opportunities? How can I grow? It just seems like there is so much is asked of you guys these days. Yeah, you're naming it right, and you're nailing it right in the head. I mean, <laughs> that's, that's it. That's the end of the show, folks. Really uh, I mean, you got it. We all set. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's look. This is the age-old industry that has always been here, will always be here. It's a matter of how you get there and how long you can last, right? Um, you know, I, I look at it as at the end of the day, this is one hell of a in the trenches type business, right? You talk about business and you talk about everything that everybody tries to achieve in their own venture. It's scale, it's margin. Um, arguably, we have everything working against us, not in those paths, right? Scale and margin are so wildly difficult in my business. And I think, um, you know, we've been fortunate. We've been also challenged by many different things and we are successful. And we have failures every day. But really, I mean, you have to really lean into it. You have to be nimble. You have to expect uh, the worst, but strive for the best. I mean, these cliches kind of ring true, you know, 45 times a day concurrently. And, you know, it's, it's not for the week, uh, for sure. I, this is an industry that is it's gripping not. you. You got to love it. it. You have to be a part of it. You have to have to have to be a part of it. No matter yeah. What that's why I love the industry. There's just so much passion and emotion that goes into it. Well, for many people who are listening and who would love to start a restaurant or there may be their fearful of, of doing it. Why, t- tell us your why. Well, you know, my why, uh, at the end of the day, food is serving people. Um, I grew up in a household of, you know, good stewards of both business, community, church, family. Uh, so you know, my parents, uh, they heard that I was born. They were crazy enough to have me literally build their restaurant and build the home that I grew up in. Um, so they were at a point in their lives where as teachers, they were trying to scratch an itch for entrepreneurship, but really trying to also create that livelihood, um, being first generation born, um, Chinese Americans. And so for me, like I was born into this craziness. I I feel like just very naturally, very magically, I was born into this (laughs) chaos. Um, I, I say that because, you know, I have also three wonderful siblings and, you know, they have their passions and trust me, our whole family loves food, uh, truly, but Somehow, just that magic in that crazy year of 87, uh, that meant that I was just thrown into that mix, right? So I think my energy, my my sort of uh, energizer bunny nature sort of stems from that crazy chaotic year in the best kind of way. You know, my mom was the ultimate lightning rod, uh, five feet tall and nothing but energy. Oh, uh, my so God. I, I, I can totally picture that. In, <laughs> you, you really need that in a, a restaurant. You know, you need that that uh, center um, fireplace burning, just putting all that energy out, keeping everybody going. Yeah. You know, you, you have to be, and you have to control that too, right? So it's interesting. I have um, my culinary director has a funny anecdote or kind of a fun one. He likes to ask this sort of curveball or teaser in a question, uh, in an interview setting rather as a question to candidates. And he just asks them, you know, what, if you were a tool in a kitchen or a piece of equipment, you know, which, which would you be? And, and how would you describe that? Um, you know, very specifically, you kind of talked about the energy and that fire. I always tell them if, you know, if I have the opportunity to share with them, my, my equipment piece, um, I'm sort of that walk burner, right? So like I'm at that near a thousand degree temperature and constantly, you know, one of the biggest important tools in the kitchen and that big energy and that big source of, uh, of energy, right? So 
at the same time, though, you have to control that temperature and you have to harness it and you have to utilize it uh, expertly, right? So I look at it as you have to bring that energy. I mean, this is an this is an industry that could um, always, you know, survive you. But at the end of the day, for you to survive, you have <laughs> right. You, you have to constantly be there. You have to have attention to detail. You have to constantly keep up that pace. And at the end of the day, a lot happens. Call offs in these days, illnesses, the pandemic. I mean, just every single curveball in the world. And if you don't have that energy to to keep tempo and to keep the team moving, um, they feed off of you. And and obviously, I look at that as something that I have to lean into. I don't look at it as a complaint or, or an obstacle. It's it's what I've signed up for. So yeah, I mean, this is an yeah, exactly. energy driven industry for sure. Yeah, exactly. Well, at least you you recognize your role as a servant leader. Uh, we talk about that a lot here, and you mm-hmm. absolutely are. You're you're the most important person is whoever is talking to the customer, you know, or whoever's cooking yeah. the food. Um, so let's talk, let's kind of transition for a moment. Well, wait a minute. We haven't talked about your, your restaurant. Tell us, I mean, give us the, this, yeah. the, the 30,000 foot view, yeah. you know, obviously Vietnamese, but just give us an overview of, yeah. of kind of the, uh, of the brand. Absolutely. So Vietnam Nam is a Vietnamese inspired quick service and food service restaurant. Um, so what that really means in a nutshell is, you know, what we're trying to do is bring the wonderful classics of Vietnamese food, call it your bun mi, your, your beef, uh, right. Those sort of, um, amazing recipes and, you know, dishes that don't need much changing. But for our purposes, we want to make that as approachable and high quality as possible. So we do scratch cook in our, in our kitchen. We do it in a way that we are still able to bring Asian food to people in the very familiar format of soup, salads, and sandwiches, right? They just happen to be extremely unique and extra flavorful with all the different herbs and sauces that we do. Um, but my goal is to also bring that sort of experience into places where people are on the go, people have limited options, or they have options that may only be sort of on the unhealthy tilt. Um, and there's a place for everything. We don't bash anything when it comes to burgers or fries or, you know, even the, the greasy spoon type um, menu. But for us, we want this to be a sustainable, approachable, affordable experience. So we bring the best of the best, right? So bun mi, pho, things like that. We do all house-made sauces. We try to be as mindful of the mind, uh, modern diner as possible. So all of our sauces, all of our proteins, for example, gluten-friendly. We've done our own vegan take on the classic Vietnamese iced coffee. So all these wonderful uh, you know, flavors and, and, and I, you know, people call them trends, but they're really lifestyle and they're really, you know, they're here to stay, right? So people want to eat quality, hearty, healthy, uh, uniquely. So we, we sort of want to uh, address that challenge every day and, and hopefully serve the best possible unique experience uh, we can. And we do this in a way where our model certainly works um, in multi-layers. So I said food service business because we are a traditional brick and mortar in the quick service format, but we also have these wonderful partnerships that we just are uh, completely driven by, which is um, much in part due to our local partners like Northwestern University. So on campus, we have a food court location. We will do wholesale grab and go meals, and we'll also have a preferred camp uh, catering uh, relationship on campus. And in previous years, we've also even been a kiosk vendor at the football stadium. So um, these sort of partnerships create that scale, ideally, which is possible margin over time. Um, to, to really just get and distribute your products out into the marketplace. Okay. So yeah, you've got into the topic that I wanted us to touch on is the kind of what your current status is as a business. So you've got your your traditional kind of brick and mortar storefront that a retail storefront that people can find you. You're also in Northwestern. That's correct. Yep. And mm-hmm. that's your kind of your food service play. Um, yep. Does that, how scalable is that? So as a default, right? So food is not scalable, right? (laughs) At the end of the day. Yeah, you can scale up your recipes and whatnot, but uh, it's a people business, right? So 
what we tried to do is try to create as much volume and inbound and sort of peripheral ongoing business as possible. So based in Evanston, Illinois, we have this wonderful partner in our backyard called Northwestern. Uh, it's sort of the blueprint and sort of the proxy for what our long-term goals have always been. So we started the business back in 2015 and we had this neighbor in our backyard. My original business partner was an MBA student there at Kellogg. I, I'm a local guy from Chicago, so I was very familiar with uh, Evanston and Northwestern as a partner. And you know, we put our heads together to really try to figure out how do we take all this incredible work that we're doing, right? I mean, every restaurant does incredible work, but how do we how do we take that and actually find a market for it, right? So, you know, interestingly enough, you know, as, as difficult as this con- market continues to be and this industry continues to be, you know, we have the full support of a, of a world where we have, you know, dozens and dozens of departments that need catering. We have multiple throughputs and locations. Uh, different hubs, different food courts, different convenience stores across campus um, that allow us to put our grab-and-go meals in there. We have a food court location, which seemingly never stops. It's just there's always students there. There's always going to be a hub there. So what we're trying to achieve is just you know being able to distribute that product that we work so hard on, but you know ideally utilizing all these ecosystems around us that you know help us answer these conundrums that most businesses, including us, have. You know, juxtaposed to this wonderful Northwestern location we have, we still have a wonderful location in downtown Evanston, but ever since this pandemic broke out three years ago, almost the day, and we've essentially uh, lost our entire foot traffic business. We chose a high density business district, much like the way the loop works in Chicago downtown. Um, but just like that uh, area and many other urban dense centers, people are working from home or they've created new habits and new rituals in terms of how they eat, where they go. Are they even going to you know, That's right. So, you know, this has been a crazy journey and it's still continuing to unravel both positively and also challengingly, um, much of which I can, you know, say I can predict in some ways, much of which I have no clue uh, about. But this is sort of the the world where our funnel continues to be as guided as possible, investing in the areas that um, give us the highest volume possible to try to scale, like I said, against, you know, all odds. So it's interesting because you, you mentioned it almost has the feel of like corporate catering a little bit just because, you know, you're on campus. Do you think that can translate into the business community at large, or do you find yourself just trying to concentrate and just scale as much as you can inside of Northwestern? So I think there's, there's vision and there's like tactical day-to-day, right. And how you get there. And like right now, vision wise, that's been always the commitment and the strong sense of opportunity. At the end of the day, like taking a step back, you know, when I worked seven years in corporate, when I still have my uh, wherewithals about the corporate environment or just in corporate doesn't necessarily mean, you know, for-profit business itself. It could be uh, the university settings that we talked about, hospitals, things like that, where there's sort of that um, larger universal feel. And the answer in short to your question is, is yes, I, I think soup, sales and sandwiches translates, healthy foods translates, unique food translates, um, being able to do it in a very consumable, approachable way translates. I mean, how we handle catering and how we have positioned our box meals, um, how we've had, you know, the ability to have a dietary uh, friendly menu that makes it very simple. I mean, I, I laugh, but, you know, when we do alternatives for our cookies, or desserts, and we've identified farm fresh apples as the uh, universal solution to nuts, dairy, gluten. I mean, these are things that we've been really thoughtful about that I think translates anywhere. And I think honestly, any, any environment or market, um, if we continue to at least make sure that we're, uh, we're, we're, we're known, right. At the end of the day, we seem seemingly have a, a endless 
opportunity set in Northwestern, despite how much saturation we have, there continues to be new angles and avenues and departments and areas that we can certainly dive into. So I think absolutely this is sort of the translatable sense of where this can fit. I think how you get there, so much of what we're trying to do is in some cases take a step back and you know back to basics and, and really get back to the in the trenches focus to make sure that operations communications, personnel, SOPs, repeatable type tasks are right. more than commoditized. And that's the, that's the, that's the end game. I mean, in, in terms of where you want to get to as an independent small business restaurant owner, uh, we're very far from it in many aspects. In some cases we embody so much of that progress that's needed, but you know, I think it's a crazy combo and calculus that doesn't always translate every day. You know, despite the progress we have in some areas, um, every day is not made equal. Everyone needs to be connected in some way because there's way too many moving parts and pieces and you've got culture and you've got, you know, personal issues with everybody. You have, you've kind of come up with your, uh, kind of your own philosophy. And that's what I wanted to, just to kind of finish on today was kind of help just explain your philosophy of how you hold it all together at the same time and it enables it to grow. Yeah, I mean... That's a huge softball question, but yeah, for sure. So, so finding common language is is that sort of big, hairy, scary endgame, right? That you, you're trying to achieve. Because at the end of the day, what common language really captures is being in sync, right? Being on the same page, literal communication, you know, literal understanding and comprehension of each other, the daily missions, the overall missions, the long term missions. How do you tactically execute together? How do you convey information when you're not going to be there all the time? I mean, so much of this is always revolved around that theme of finding common language. Um, and, you know, if you think about the restaurant industry and you think about the personnel and the staff and the people involved, this is the lowest barrier to entry, you know, business or industry you can think of, right? Technically, you don't have to have a formal education, both either in culinary or let's say a four-year university uh, on a more formal level. You don't have to have even English as your first language. You don't true. have to do it with specifically this much money or not, depending on your circumstances. It's pretty wild. So just with that, I mean, just think about how many permutations can come about. So, you know, I think something that you can easily lose sight of, or I don't want to say take for granted, but just not be aware of at least, um, even in my own experience. I mean, yes, when I worked in you know, when I went from the university and business school to to JP Morgan to start my career, eventually went to Groupon and then US Bank. I mean, those are different companies, but if you think about the funnel of the world, you know, you go from Chicagoland kid to University of Michigan, then within Michigan you go to business school, and then within business school you go out to Chicago again and so on and so forth. That funnel, you know, and that sifter, right? Using the kitchen analogy, like that sifter kind of shakes out a lot of the different permutations. And as much as we feel different, you know, I've made my universe, my, my universe very small by going down those paths, right? And the people around you often look like you, sound like you at least, you know, uh, think like you. And so all of a sudden, when you take the lowest barrier to entry industry of the world, you know, food, and arguably, it, it's anybody and everybody, right? So education levels, language, you know, backgrounds, are they in it for a career or are they in it because they're a 16-year-old looking for their first high school job, right? And yet, all those permutations means that I still have to deliver as a business owner safe food, delicious food, consistent food, on-time food, right? I mean, you can go on and on. And oh, so like, wow. common, a common language to figure that out, 
on top of you know everybody's pandemic that we're experiencing, the HVAC system going out, flooding happening, inventory going out either because your team forgot to count or we spoil or you know distributor doesn't bring it. You know I can go on and on with all the age old uh, curveballs of of being in food, and it's an operational hazard. So like all this doesn't make sense. It, it literally doesn't make sense to add all up, right? The calculus is crazy. Uh, you're taking people from all walks of life to do food from all angles, and it's just nuts at a high quality level. So common language is so critical. And, you know, we're seven years, sorry, almost now eight years into it, actually, I should say, uh, five years as a brick and five and a half years as a brick and mortar, almost eight years as a both concept, shared kitchen uh, concept, all the way down to everything in between our brick and mortar. And the last two years in particular, I'd say the majority of the pandemic, half of what I do is really just trying to find common language. And common language comes in the form of us creating new tools and SOPs through our Google Enterprise Suite, so like literally Google Sheets, having our daily communication log. It comes in the form of literally even refine, refining the terminology that we use, right? So like what we call containers, there's a phrase in food called uh, sheet to shelf. And, and we haven't even gotten there yet to fully do it. But the idea of making sure that labeling and what goes on your shelves for dry goods or food matches the same common language on a sheet so that that sheet translates to what we order from distributors. I mean, it's just, and then what we say is either out, low, or too much of how we say to each other what to execute or prep. I mean, just that alone, like literal language is so critical. And as simple as that sounds, it's so complicated because people come from different kitchens, again, backgrounds, education levels, so on and so forth. So, you know, at the end of the day, like my main focus and constant mantra is, how the heck are we finding common language? Because every day that I do something asymmetrically from the rest of my team or vice versa, or we misinterpret stuff and you assume something or you read it differently. Right. You run the risk can, of a, of a it, mistake. Yeah. yeah. It, it can be, and, and not just mistakes, multiple mistakes, right? Or most importantly, when we call mistakes in our industry, mistakes, they can actually be, God forbid, uh, health hazards, right? Well, if, you say, yeah. if you say you have celiac. It's more than a mistake, yeah. you know, something yeah, like that. For sure. Uh, 100%. So, um, that's one hell of a mouthful. And I know that's something that I can go, you know, passionately into and about, but like, that's like, that's the rub. That's, that's literally what we have to figure out. And like, so how do you today. do, I, it sounds to me like this is an, it's an ongoing, right. Journey. You never reach the summit. It's like, okay, summit. Okay. Then plateau, another summit, you know, you got to keep going. So it must, does it start in onboarding? Does it start during the interview process? When does it, I yeah. guess, how does it show up? Yeah. Yeah. From moment one, I mean, from a personnel standpoint, look, you know, we always talk to, when we talk to candidates and we talk to people even internally still as their existing employees, you know, we, we, it's about temperament and it's about uh, flexibility, uh, adaptability. So when one of the most translatable things in the end is finding people who can honestly adapt. And, and, and who can, who have either experienced already or who have temperaments and personalities who can dig in when things change. And I know that sounds very, very high level and it's a little bit uh, of a kumbaya type. Well, uh, I, I, I want to one thing though, because we have talked quite a bit about Clifton Strengths Finders. Right. And that's not something you and I have discussed, but it's come up uh, many times before. And one of the attributes that they test for is adaptability. Yeah. So sure. how is it that you, that you uncover that attribute of adaptability? Right. And so mind you, you know, my interviews can be with literally anybody from a 16-year-old 
kiddo to mm-hmm. a 45, not to age, but it's just this, to say someone who's got 20 years experience cooking in the kitchen, right? Um, so, you know, ultimately what we're looking to assess at the interview level, candidate level, when we get referrals is, you know, what are they looking for? First of all, it's working backwards. You know, some people say it's a job, some people say it's a career, but like, what are they literally looking for? You know, some people who tell me that they want absolute consistency, their shifts will never change. They're going to work only Monday through Friday. They only work 7 a.m. to 3 p.m. because that's the only time they're available. That They have to do this one location. I mean, arguably, they sort of unwind themselves as a candidate and not because it's I a red flag. Yeah. yeah, I don't sit there and like when someone's dialed in and knows what they need, that's really helpful. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of balancing acts there, right? Um, but we start to cringe a little bit when we when we hear the balancing act that we'll have to play if one person is expecting nothing but consistency. And I, I say that really, really poignantly, but I also say that with the notion of my whole goal is to deliver that. Like I have this long-term mantra one day, like, God forbid, I want four-day four day work weeks, 10 hours. In my industry, that's no, nothing versus what sometimes people work. And they can have a three-day weekend for once. And they can be laser-focused, be a part of the critical hours of our business and arguably, you know, work nine, uh, eight to six, and that's your 10 hours. But like, I say all that, and like, the challenge that I have is, when you start saying you wanna work, and you can only work for that matter, in a certain window, certain days, only no matter what, and this is what you're used to, this is what you're gonna do, that's all you wanna do, that sounds a lot more like, you know, maybe some of the the whales like a McDonald's, or places that have a little more of a robotic, sort of calculated, uh, predictor of the day, right? Now, that's a retail yeah. job. That's a retail yeah, job where yeah, you just yeah. punch the yeah. clock. Yeah, absolutely. And I would challenge, obviously, I don't want to say there's not curveballs, McDonald's, I don't have to supply chain issues either. But, like, you know, I think at the end of the day, you're looking for that. You're identifying people's openness, even in discussing. Look, people sell you their best version of themselves, right? In an interview. So I can already have to imagine what I have to sift through and think through and, and see what's genuine. But, like, if you're initially not even for the idea of adaptability or embrace challenges or through your experiences. I don't care if it's your high school extracurriculars or on the basketball team and you had some adversity because someone got injured and you got to play. Like these are translatable traits, right? I mean, I don't have to always hear that only in a kitchen environment when you've worked before and the fridge went out, this is what you did. Like that's not anywhere close to what I have to only hear, but we have to constantly identify people who are prepared for change, who have gone through adversity, who have gone through you know, real tangible experiences, work and life that show me that for the things that I can't even predict, that I couldn't even rattle off about what's going to happen tomorrow. Um, you know, in this given week, we've had three call-offs due to illness, much much in part uh, ambiguous in terms of when they're going to come back. You throw in five other things. I, I couldn't even pre- predict that. And so I have to find people who have an attitude and a temperament that are built for sort of the unknown. And that's a huge, huge unicorn to find. That's not that simple to find, let alone even identify during an interview process. Yeah, it is tricky because you really do want to come up with some kind of a behavioral question that can lead you down that path. Otherwise, yeah, you really are just kind of throwing darts, you know, in the dark. But I think you've, I think you're really on it though, just by when they throw a schedule out that's so inflexible and they don't show any openness, any willingness to be flexible, then that's a pretty good indicator that that's not going to work in, in your space. Um, what about just in general though, for, um, for training and for, uh, development, how do you get in, I mean, how do you help people along in their career, right? You're so focused on, obviously all you said, 
you have to deliver everything to the consumer. That on top of that, sometimes these people are expecting, you know, for you you to give them something too. How how do you That's balance right. that? So I think at the end of the day, my goal, and I believe our reality is that we have, you know, a pretty safe and open space and environment where, you know, outside passions, you know, outside goals, long-term goals are literally expressed daily and, and discussed and, and talked about. Um, and I mean that because it's really important. Look, I am someone who came from seven years, majority in Wall Street, uh, on paper had nothing to do with food, right? But I had certainly mentors who took me under their wings along the way and helped me develop life skills, professional skills, analytical skills, things that translate to food, maybe atypically and typically. Um, and it was nothing but, I think, that open environment for myself, speaking to leadership, wanting to do entrepreneurship, in some cases, very candid about wanting to open restaurants. And yet I was in a suit and tie working in corporate. Um, so I've experienced it. I don't think it's hard for me to understand this when I've experienced it. But what I mean by all this is like, we got to find a way where people feel comfortable being themselves. Um, I, I am in an industry where people are told every day that they're not professionals. They're not looked at as professionals. We're looked down at. Um, I get treated myself just like any Joe Schmo on my team. I get treated even you know, less than an average person based on sometimes the feedback you'll get on a, on a Yelp review to the Complaints you'll get in the storefront as if you're not the same sort of uh, peer-to-peer person. So I'm trying to figure out this world every day where I can make it so my team feels valued. My team feels like they have a purpose, that they know that their other purposes in life are also valued. So, you know, I have uh, one of my supervisors. She is someone who uh, moonlights and side hustles heavily as a hair designer. You know, I have discussed with her that business model. I've discussed real estate opportunities with her. I have discussed... um, connecting the dots on some local resources for entrepreneurs, minority entrepreneurs, things like that. Um, to me, that's part of the fabric of the business. I don't sit here and try to also hire people thinking that they're going to work in Vietnamese fast food for the rest of their lives. Arguably, I could almost guarantee you everybody, but maybe one or two have never envisioned themselves working at a Vietnamese restaurant. And I'm talking to one of them right now. Yeah, that's right. That's that's actually right. (laughs) Spot on. Right. So, so, I mean, I'm a walking walk of, all the talk, right? So like, right. I I would be such a hypocrite by nature and a little hypocrite if I didn't buy into this. And like, it's really important because if I can get the best out of someone, it's because it's the best version of themselves. You're not your best version if you're not feeling like yourself and you're not being feeling open and able to express your love for fashion, how one day you want to go to law school. I mean, all these things, these are anecdotes are all real ones, right? I've written law school recommendation letters for Northwestern students who've worked for me that have now gotten into law school. You know, I have people who have come to me as an intern through a culinary program, but really that was just their way as a young professional finding any path, but they've openly told me they want to work in automotive. And guess what? We make that phone call back to that same uh, internship uh, developer that can maybe help this young man um, train in the automotive practice of that internship program. It's all open book. The better, at the end of the day, transparency, communication, are everything that you've said, right? And the more I know about where my team's heads are at, I can get the best out of them from however long they're here. The smoke and mirrors that happens in, in life most times also in this industry is that you don't know two ways. And so guess what? 
one of your really productive workers leaves after three months when really we could have got ahead of this. And unfortunately, if they make that decision in their own head about how it doesn't fit, they exactly. made a decision in their own head and they're gone in three months. Whereas, exactly. And they never yeah. opened up with a personal life That's and you right. could have seen yeah. help and just walked yeah, the walk and I can, yeah. I can move them from full-time to part-time, right? So they can go to school or I can even give them the resources subsidized, by the way, by a lot of community partners that I work with, right? And all of a sudden it's sustainable. They, they rather work for me while they get subsidized education and mm-hmm. then they can still continue to make money. Loyalty goes up, uh, uh, yeah. retention rates go up. Um, Absolutely. Alan, I'm going to throw you a, a, a curveball just because you're um, I, you're in the pro- – I know you're thinking about business expansion and, and you're going through this. I was talking to another restaurateur and he was struggling with trying to understand in his business model when it was right for them to open another location. And I'm curious, um, do you have any opinions on on that type of a uh, in, investment and the mm-hmm. challenges of trying to replicate your your culture? Sure. So the, that makes two of us, right? Not necessarily always knowing when the right trigger is there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, that's but, what I thought. But, but no, but but but, here, but here's the prevailing things I can share. At the end of the day, there's no magical formula that one person can say for the other, right? They can't tell you it's a capital funding thing as much as capital is important. They can't say it's a timeline thing or a certain amount of sales. Being an entrepreneur, you are it. So, you know, McDonald's, Chipotle, Domino's, they're going to have certain, you know, walking scores, revenue components, uh, rent controls, things that they can truly mathematically in their own assessments build an algorithm around. And I one day want to be a part of that in my own, in my own words. Right. But like truly when it's just you, you have to determine, you know, your capacity, tenacity and tolerance for taking on more, more employees, more challenges, more exposure, more personal guarantees. So those are pretty obvious in the end, but I think that's why I'm really big not to tell other entrepreneurs or myself, even that there's a magical formula that you have to do this or that. Good answer. But yeah, but what I would just really boil it down to though is, you got to find your creative angles. What is your arbitrage in your path, right? So like, look, I have both successfully done this. I've kind of a mixed bag version of it. And also I've done it to failure definitions, maybe not by failure of the attempt or the opportunity set, but failure because they're no longer here. So I mean this by saying this, like during the pandemic, I have opened and closed locations in the same time. I have opened locations that are still there uh, during the pandemic. But at the end of the day, one thing for us has been so critical is that scale, that big, hairy, scary goal in this business We've achieved scale through opening certain locations that arguably didn't have any CapEx. So, you know, I think of some of the handcuffs and so many conundrums that I've experienced because of the CapEx involved and the sum costs you got to deal with when you build your own store. Northwestern is an example, a food hall that we had down in the the west side of the Chicago City uh, footprint, a location we have also uh, one of our prep kitchens down in East Garfield Park in Chicago. Those build-outs are fully subsidized in the sense that either the revenue share is different, you don't have to necessarily build your space out, but the, the commissions are there, or you know you pay rent, but it's you go to a facility that's already built out for you. And so I, I just I, I point that out as my arbitrage in the in the world of leveraging amazing partners, trying to do it differently, even from the way I did it seven years ago when I developed my storefront uh, for the first time in construction, you got to find some sort of way where I think just doing all of it the normal way isn't the way to go. You got to figure out some sort of atypical way that, you know, for me, it's like my build out costs are, you know, literally fractions or pennies on the dollar so that I can get away from that stress and I can focus on the the team development, 
the, the real estate development, right? So I think you have to eliminate some of those pillars unless you literally have five, six, seven executives that cover all those things and you have a lot of money to make it work. That's, I don't know. That's yeah, I think you just model. nailed it. I think you just nailed yeah. it because if you can eliminate one of those pillars and you've got yeah. a partner that's right. going to help subsidize or they've got the real estate already, and they right. just need you to move right. in and they're, they're kind of insourcing you in yeah. some ways. Yeah. yeah. Do you, you you've eliminated your, a lot of that risk. You've got to define your barriers to entry and you've got to eliminate some of those monumental ones. For us, it's CapEx, especially after we've gone through a lot of relief funding, a lot of personal money, a lot of bootstrapping money. Right. There's there's only so much. That well has not gone dry, I wouldn't say always, but like I think it's gotten close to dry. And I, you know, that's a... That's a that's a reality we have to appreciate, specifically in my context. Of course, I think in everybody's context, though. You know, Alan, we could probably just talk for a whole hour. I mean, this is such a <laughs> such a big topic. I really I really appreciate you coming down to winning at work. I really just wanted to kind of pick your brain a little bit about how you think about growth, how you think about expansion, and keeping everyone together. I love the brand. I I, I love the name um, <laughs> of what you're doing. Um, and man, we are just. I'm in a uh, a food vacuum up here in Western North Carolina. Just listening to you describe your menu and the fa, I was just like, oh, I so want that. I'm gonna have to get back down into Atlanta. We've got a big, big, yeah. big Absolutely. Vietnamese community. Hey, I've been, I've started to trek across uh, North Carolina. We've gotten to Asheville. We've gotten to Charlotte. We've gotten across few different areas but uh one of my favorite food halls literally ever in the country is actually based in uh, charlotte so um the goal is to find these urban academic areas that really support partnership and you know i, I have found that like i said heavily in academic uh environments that have a sort of urban tilt but at the end of the day an academic environment really puts partnership first so this you as a partner as well on this uh, pod i mean to me this is uh, this is as good as it gets you, you have to work with good people and i think that's the fabric of uh, the community building that we try to, you know, embody and execute on every day. So thank you. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Well, I appreciate you coming down and I look forward to having more conversations with you as we, as we, as you <laughs> grow the Vietnam Nam uh, enterprise. Well, much appreciated. Looking forward to that for sure. Thanks so much, Alan. Thank you.